Welcome to the Storycraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. Storycraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Be sure to join us over on our YouTube channel as we've been going through our Preptober series, getting ready for NaNoWriMo. I've thought about releasing some of those shows here on the audio podcast channel, but I, they really deserve the video treatment as well because we do a lot of stepping through things that you kind of need to see. So I'm going to put a link to the YouTube channel and those videos specifically in the show notes of this episode. So if that interests you and you're doing NaNoWriMo this year, click on over there and uh, watch the three episodes we've uh, released so far. Our final Preptober video will release this Wednesday coming up. So join us over there. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. I'm your host, Hank Garner, as always. Today, super excited to uh, be joined by one of my favorite writers in the whole world and, uh, and, and someone that it's been such a joy and pleasure to get to know over the last few years. Peter Swanson joins us today. He has a brand new novella that just released last week. It's called The Christmas Guest. And for a, uh, a short read, uh, it is awfully punchy awfully immersive if you can believe that from a uh from a story this dense and compact but what a fun story it is uh welcome back to the show peter thanks hank and thanks for your kind words absolutely that's it's absolutely the truth um you know i've followed your career um since since your first or second book uh was published and uh you know i always know i'm sorry I think it was my first book. I I'm, I feel like we did a podcast for Girl with a Clock for a Heart. I, I feel ago. like we did, too. It might have been the kind worth killing. And we talked about the girl with a clock for a heart. Well, that's possible, too. Yeah. It, it was it was so close there. And I, and I feel like we've we've uh, we've done one every year since. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, when when I saw that you had a Christmas novella uh, out this year, uh, I was. Uh, pleasantly surprised, uh, surprised because this is not something I expected from you yet. When I got it in hand, um, and opened the book and got into it, I, I think I read this in one sitting, uh, honestly. And, uh, I was just like, you know, this is absolutely a Peter Swanson book. And, um, you know, what, a, what an amazing book it is. When did you, when did the idea for this story first come to you? <clears throat> so this is an interesting story because this book, I mean, it was, it was basically, um, well, sort of commissioned, I guess, yeah. is okay. the word. But my, um, my UK editor and my UK publishing house's favor, um, so my UK editor over there, um, like asked if I had any interest in doing a, a kind of a, a Christmas thing. Um, and they had done, they've done a number 
in the past few years. They did um, a few with P.D. James. They had some posthumous stories of hers. They did John Banville Snow. Um, they had had a lot of success with them. So he was like, do you want to do it? And he kind of said, you know, it's an opportunity for you to do something a little different. He goes, you can go cozier if you want. You can go historical. You can write a, a much shorter novel. Um, and I, I was instantly interested. I, was, I think I was more excited about the possibility of writing a novella, you know, a hundred page story than I was writing a Christmas story. But I had an idea. Um, and then um, I went through my agent and we pitched it to my U.S. publisher. And my editor at the time was kind of like, I don't understand what you're asking. Like, what do you mean a Christmas thriller? Is this your next book? Is it going to be a wrong? Like they just, he just didn't get it. And, um, and I think the reason for that is because I think in the UK culture, there's just a lot more um, Christmas specials. Do you know what I mean? Like with TV yeah. shows, um, sitcoms, Doctor Who, there's just a lot more of that. And in fact, they do a Christmas ghost story every year on television. Um, so, so anyway, um, I feel like that used to be more of a thing here in the U.S. I remember growing up in the 80s and every show would have a Christmas special. Um, and it just seems like that's not the, the case anymore. I, I wonder what the I think maybe is it just got taken completely over by like Hallmark movies, which have True. become the go to. I mean, there's obviously about 40 new ones a year in that, right. in that genre, but there isn't, there isn't a ton of like Christmas mysteries or Christmas thrillers or, or things like that yeah. um, along, along those lines. But, but anyway, um, so my American publisher wasn't really interested in, and it kind of, it kind of stalled. And then I think it was two years ago during actually around Christmas that I said, well, I'm just going to write it. Um, I have this idea. I think it'll be about a hundred pages. So I just wrote it, um, sent it. And, and when, um, my UK editor saw it, he bought it. And then, um, my U S editor ended up buying it as well. Um, and, and saying, you know, they were kind of like, well, we'll see how this does. But, um, so I was, I was pretty thrilled. I mean, at one point I thought it would just go to the UK, but, um, you know, I was, I was glad it wound up over here and, you know, it turned out to be, I love, I love the novella. Yeah. Yeah. And um, speaking of the form of the the Christmas uh, story, the Christmas novella or whatever, um, th there are certain subgenres uh, that that is a completely normal thing. Cozy mysteries. I and mean, we're talking about the the pure cozy mysteries there. It's uh it, it's not a surprise at all to see a Christmas themed book, an Easter themed book, a Thanksgiving theme. You know, that's it's kind of part and parcel for that subgenre. Um, what do you think it is about the the typical thriller genre that is not as open to the special theme stories? Um, do, do you think that 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 in their thinking that a Christmas story uh, will kind of um, limit the exposure the book will get. Um, do, do you have any insight into the, like the industry side of, of the, the trepidation? Yeah. I mean, it's all about your platforms and like how, I mean, I don't, I don't know too much about it, but I think in, 
in the UK built into, say, the bookstores, Waterstones and WH Smith, they'll put out like, you know, um, Christmas themed books that that run the gamut. I think they're just more used to that. Whereas I think in the US, Christmas themed books tend to to be romance. Um, and, and, and cozy mysteries. And I think that's, I think that's the other thing is, um, I mean, it makes sense that cozy mysteries would be, could be thematically holiday based. I mean, especially Christmas, which is a cozy holiday. I mean, if you think of like a country house and snow outside and fireplace inside, you're instantly in cozy realm. Um, I think, I think what's funny is that part of me, and I wanted to have those tropes in my book, but part of me was like, oh, maybe I'll make this a little cozier than my normal books. And, and you've read it and, um, it's really not cozy at all. Um, right. <laughs> and, and I think that's just who I am, you know, it's like you, you try. So I wouldn't have, you know, it wound up being quite dark, um, which is yeah. generally where I go. It, it's kind of anti-cozy in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's no there's no blood splattering everywhere, but there's uh, uh, it, it definitely leans kind of more creepy um, if, if we can use that that term. Yeah. Um, wh- what about the form of the novella? Um, you know, uh, one of my favorite writers and, and someone that I studied a lot when when I was first starting to write was Ray Bradbury. And he talked a lot about writing short stories and he was a big advocate of when you're learning to write to to write a short story every week um yeah that's right edit it and you know the the logic being well surely you can't write 50 bad stories in a row you know if you do this for a year which is kind of tongue-in-cheek but you, you know there's there's something to to working out those muscles um so and and now there's not a lot of places to sell short stories a lot of the literary journals and things that used to buy those are not really uh, you know a thing anymore and so that form uh is is kind of dwindling just because there's no way to make money at it anymore um right. and then the novel and the the typical one novel per year you know from an author is is kind of has become standard and we kind of look for these rhythms in publishing and then the novella is somewhere kind of in between um how has publishing responded to this form of story and and do you feel like this is um you know i I know this is a one-off for you and you know something that you kind of wedged into your normal production schedule um but do you, do you feel like that if you had more ideas for novellas that that this could could be um, a thing that you make part of your career? Um, I could only hope and dream. But I mean, honestly, um, and you're absolutely right. The short story has has gone down. Uh, I mean, the short story used to be a very lucrative yeah. business for, for writers. Um, in some case, I mean, there were writers who built entire careers out of short stories. John Cheever. Um, yeah. Updike practically. I mean, lots, but, um, but the, uh, Cornell Woolrich, um, but, uh, there's, there's not a market for them. So there, so there is a little bit of a market for short stories. There's very, very little market for novellas. And, um, (laughs) which I think is a shame because just personally, I think there's a ton of things you can do in the, in the novella length that 
um, can work great, especially with like a creepy story. Sometimes your creepy story is not that complex. Like it doesn't have something that happened 20 years ago that's causing it that you have to delve into. It doesn't need multiple points of view. Maybe it's just someone, you know, arriving in an Airbnb and the neighbor comes over and it's this like creepy thing going on and it's got to get resolved. Um, and you can't make a novel out of that. I mean, it's too, um, you can't get your 80,000 words. So I just think novella, there's a lot of possibilities. Um, I, I would love to do, I mean, um, you know, if we talk about modern novellas, the only person who really is doing it with success, and that's because he can kind of do whatever he wants is Stephen King. And yeah. Stephen King's a really, really good novella writer. I actually think it's like, I mean, sometimes I feel like his books sprawl too much. Um, and his novellas, his novellas are probably the length of some people's books, but they're like, they're great. It tightens him up and he's been able to do this thing where he publishes them and usually in groups of four. Um, so I'd love to do that kind of thing, have like, you know, a three novella book, but I don't, you know, I, I'm not sure they really sell. I think that's the issue. I mean, Stephen King sells because he's Stephen King. And right. he obviously published, you know, his laundry list and he'd sell. But um, but I do think, I, I think it's a really, I think it's a it's a great length for mysteries. I, I wish there were more of them out there. And I, you know, I, I definitely have some ideas for a few more. Well, you know, Stephen King, um, has has famously um had had difficulties with with ending sometimes so much so that he made fun of himself in one of the the latest uh it movies maybe it was the second part i can't remember uh -huh. where he, he plays the shopkeeper and and he's selling one of his books and he says oh the you know the endings are crap or, or you know something oh, that's like right. that i did i, I yeah. remember that that was funny yeah you know <laughs> at, at himself um but you know, you're absolutely right. The novella is, is it, do you think it's because you can conceptually hold the story in your head, you know, kind of all in one form, whether you're an outliner, a planner, a pantser, you know, wherever you fall on that spectrum, the novella, you, you can pretty much hold the, the totality of the story in your head. Um, do you think that due to that fact, the, the form lends toward tighter stories more that you know that each scene carries more punch um what, what do you think that the form of the novella brings to the writing of it i think i mean it it maybe has partly to do with an author keeping their focus i think um and this is sort of a bugaboo of mine but yeah. you know the current expected length of a thriller is minimum of sort of 70,000 words, but more closer to 80 or 90,000 words. Right now that didn't used to be the case. There's lots of pulp writers um, and golden age writers. I mean, Agatha Christie, um, I, I think it's, and then there were none as 55,000 words um, and she kills 10 people. Um, right. And, but, you know, I think if you, if I came, if I had a 55,000 word novel now, I think my publishing houses would ask for a bigger book. Um, so what that does is it makes 
it puts sort of this weird added pressure on the thriller writer. I mean, we all know what it's like. You read a great premise, something creepy happens, maybe a murder occurs and you're kind of, your interest is perked. And then there's a long middle section where the story kind of sags and you can almost feel sometimes when the author's stretching and I'm, I'm including myself in this too. I mean, I think you're kind of trying to come up with subplots. You're kind of trying to maintain the suspense before you get to the big finish where you're kind of resolving and tying stuff up. Um, so sometimes what it forces you to do is, you know, subplot or bring in different perspectives or, or add a romance or something. Um, whereas in a novella, you can kind of just full steam ahead, um, and tell your story. I just, I guess what I'm trying to, the short version of what I'm trying to say is not all thriller ideas, um, are 300 pages. Probably a lot of thriller ideas are, um, can be a great 150 pages. And the fact that we have this idea of what a novel is lends itself to some, some, uh, books that don't quite work. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned that the Christmas guest is, uh, is, is a, a creepy, uh, story. And there, this is, um, I don't want to say it's out of character for you because it's not. This book absolutely reads like a Peter Swanson book, but there is a difference in this book. And say, um, one of my all-time favorite books, uh, Eight Perfect Murders. Um, for you, there's you know, as the as the title suggests, there's lots of there, there's lots of murder and mayhem in this book, but it's not. I wouldn't call it a creepy book. Um, you know how you can have murders happen and it not freak you out is yeah. maybe says more about me than than anything. But um, you know that there's a there's a tone difference in the Christmas Guest as opposed to your other work. Um, how would you describe it? Um. Well, I think the, the the first thing is again, and I felt a little freer to do. Um, so I, I'm doing something. It's set primarily in 1989, um, or at least a section of it is. A section of it is told through diary entries of a an American uh, college girl who's studying in London for the year and doesn't go home over her Christmas break and goes instead to a friend's house, an English friend's house. So I get to set it in the Cotswolds in the English countryside. I want to make sure it kind of dripped with Christmas trimmings. Um, and, and what's, you know, since I'm telling this portion through her, she was all sort of excited, but then she's sort of noticing that there's, there's something rotten in the, in the heart of Christmas there. So she's sort of wondering what kind of, what kind of place or story she stumbled into, but the, um, but but because it was sort of this one-off, I was I felt I think freer to do this different time um, to do this a uh, uh, little different tonally. Um, but then I had a backstory all all along of what is actually her reason for being there. Um, and I think the book ultimately, you know, I'm not sure I knew this at the beginning, but the book ultimately ended up being about 
the dark side, the real dark side of Christmas, which is Christmas is um, causes us to flood with memories because every Christmas is the same. It's the same songs. It's the same smell of the tree. All that stuff brings us back to the Christmases of our childhood. That can be a really happy thing, um, but it can also be a dark thing if in your past um, you had dark Christmases then it sticks with you because every year is a reminder. And that ultimately that's what the book became about. Um, one thing that I have um, really studied uh, your books for uh, Peter is the way you write um, the beginnings of stories. Your first couple of chapters are always um, uh, stunning in, in the execution. You, really hook us as as readers in the beginning so much so that you have to know what's going to happen next there's there's nothing worse than someone giving you a rave review of a book uh, and you start reading it and just it it's like nothing happens and and they tell you oh you've just got to stick with it um yeah the story ramps up and there's that's horrible you know there's nothing worse than it's like you know when you're when you're young and you try something and someone tells you well it's an acquired taste, acquired taste. Well, yeah who wants to <laughs> suffer through until you acquire the taste you know um so how do you think about beginnings and when you first start brainstorming a story does does a a hook for the beginning come to you like how has that evolution work Yeah I mean it's so if I'm starting a book, I've gone through, I mean, I kind of have a premise and a plot and all that, but then I do ask myself the question, it's just where, you know, there's a couple big questions always before you start your book. One is who is telling the story and why? Um, and then, uh, where does the story begin? Um, and one of the, um, things I try and remind myself, it's not always the case, but often the, the story should begin later than I think it should. Um, like sometimes books start too early. We can, we can jump in. I mean, I think, um, readers are smart people and you don't need to, um, set up. I mean, for, for example, I mean, I don't know if I ever considered this, but you know, this book starts with this American student. She's already at the cusp of Christmas. Now you could have started that with, um, her arriving. You could talk about her semester. You could talk about, um, the friends she's made, the friends she doesn't make, how she feels being an American in London. Um, you know, but you don't, I mean, you don't need that. You can, right. you should, I, I think, I think it's important to have stuff happening. Um, when you, when you start. So oftentimes I think it's, I think books are started, you know, I, I have the tendency to start too early. So I just tell myself, no, can I, can I move the start time up? And I think, or, or back or however you want to put it. But um, I think, I think that's one way to think about it. Are you, are you ever concerned that the reader will fill in blanks on their own when when you kind of drop them into a story, um, that, you know, and make connections that you didn't want them to make? Or, you know, do you just um, think, you know, as I unravel the story that the reader will will follow along? Is that ever a concern? No, because I think um, ultimately 
readers are always, always filling in blanks. I mean, unless you're like detailing every moment of some character's life, your your readers are filling in blanks. So I think, you know, if you have a strong enough character, they won't misread them. Um, there's a... Um, but, you know, I think that's why you need to start with something that's instantly recognizable, like... Um, in other words, like you could you could start with Ashley Smith or, you know, what it feels like to be a student in London. But that that's not so interesting. It's a little more interesting that she's not going home for Christmas because her parents are dead. And it's a little more interesting that some girl she didn't even know she was friends with suddenly invites her. So I'll, what you're starting with there are a couple of questions like, you know, what, you know, it's a little off or, or whatever. Um, so I think you need to, I, I think you need to just trust that most people will, will fill in the rest, um, and get a sense of who she is. So, I mean, that's, that's how I think about it. Your main protagonist, Ashley, Ashley Smith, um, that you alluded to a, a second ago, um, when you first started thinking about this, um, this sort of English uh, Christmas mystery thriller, um, where where did did Ashley drop in along the way, and and how like where did she come from? How what was your creation process for her? Well, I can't really speak too closely to it. I mean, in some ways, she came out a little bit of the plot. I mean, I definitely wanted. Um, I, I like, I mean, I, I like the sort of fish out of water story. And then I kind of, instead of making her, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit plot based, but you know, she, um, she presents as sort of a ditzy American. She's from California. I don't like write a lot of characters from California. Um, she's, she come, she's maybe someone you would see. She, you know, she talks too loud. She's um, probably looks a little dumber than she is. Um, she's a sort of a bubblegum American in London. And um, as soon as I realized that she presents that way, it was really important that if we're going to be in her diary for a per period of time to, to see that, um, like no, no, anyone who presents that way, everyone has their interior life and we learn more about her interior life. And she's not, she's not quite like that, but, it, but that was my original idea of what, what she would look like from the outside world. Um, which, you know, we get a little bit of a, a look at her from the outside as well. The, the, the shifting point of view of this novel, uh, this novella, um, how, how did you come to uh, the kind of the, the decisions about the way you would tell the story. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember. Um, I sat down and wrote it fast, and I think, um, I you know, it's it is one of those things where I did know. Um, let's just put it this way: I knew what the bad people. I I had. Settled what the bad thing that was happening. I, I knew exactly what that was. So then it's just a matter of how do I tell that story to obscure it a little, and whose perspective should we tell that story from? And that's when I came up with this this idea that um, 
we would we would get sort of half through the diary and half through a, a series of memories. Well, it, it really works. And, um, you know, you said uh, earlier uh, about the kind of the, the necessity for this to be a shorter story um, because of the type of story it was and um, the the way that you told it from the, the perspectives that you told it really enhanced that uh, and it draw it out a little bit without it feeling contrived. Um you know, you could you could get right down to the heart of the matter, you know, in maybe a, you know, 5000 word short story. Sure, and, uh, it's but it's more fun to to sort of draw it out like this and but not but it doesn't feel drawn out. You know, I think we've all read a novel that was maybe about 90 or 100,000 words. And by the end of it, you're like, this really could have been 40,000 words. It's like right. they, they just padded it just to bring the page count up. Yeah. And it, it does not feel that way. It, it feels like it's it's uh, drawn out in the best way possible. Um do, were you thinking about, you know, ways that you could present the story so that you kind of amp up the the mystery uh, part of it while also keeping the, the kind of fast paced tension that you get from a novella? Well, it's always tough. I mean, when you're thinking about who's telling a story, um, you're it's all about when you reveal certain information. And oftentimes in my books in the past, and you'll know this, like. I'll, I'll just give up who the murderer is and who they murdered in chapter one. Like I'm I, sometimes I think that's fine. Um, Cause sometimes to me, the process is more interesting, but then I thought, you know, um, I love the idea that um, Ashley and her diary writing has a bit of an imagination like everyone, but she is kind of, speculating often speculates on what kind of story she's in because she's developed a crush at this house and is she in a love story you know it's kind of like um right you know so that as things sort of get stranger she starts amending her idea of of what story she's in so i think that's um you know and i was hoping to kind of I mean, you're you're trying to kind of obscure what the what the what's really going on as as the writer, and that I was able to do that because I was able to just slip into entirely her point of view um, to the point where it's it's through a diary, so it's it's very it's very filtered through her own sensibilities and brain and perceptions of what's happening around her. Yeah. Um. How did uh, fitting in the Christmas guest? Uh, affect your work schedule uh you know for for years now you've been uh you know kind of on a on a uh a, a typical production schedule one big book a year um you know and then you know uh, the publicity and all of that comes with that um i would imagine that you have fallen into a, a bit of a rhythm with the 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 writing you know side the publishing side the you know promotion I, I would imagine your year kind of falls out to support all those things how did wedging in this new project affect your um your typical creative life it didn't it didn't necessarily slow down me producing a next novel although the big changes so for the first time ever this this 
coming year, it was 2024, I would typically have a book coming out usually around March. Um, I do have a new book coming out, but that's coming out in June. Um, So that's the first time I've ever done that uh, time period for a book coming out. So that did get pushed back a little. I was happy about that just because I wanted there to be a little bit of a break um, between promotions. But um, but it also worked out well because I think maybe I was a little later. I might have been a little later with this book coming in, um, the new book. So... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was happy to do something else, but yeah, I was like, I, I, as much as I, I mean, I, I love writing a book a year, but sometimes, um, doing the promotions around a book every year is, is the harder part for me. Um, but the, but you know, writing it isn't, you know, I love to write, so yeah. So, um, I'm hearing that we'll have a, a new book next summer. Um, that's Can you tell great. us anything about it? Yeah, so um, it's it's not a sequel, but it includes the character of Lily Kintner again. Um, and it's, I will say only this, that it's kind of, I think it's my first full-on uh, kind of serial killer novel in a sense. Um, and I, because I can't, you know, the story began, it didn't begin with Lily, or Lily got brought in. Um, it began with an, an idea of a serial killer, um, who I think is quite different than other serial killers we've seen. Um, and I wanted to write about him and then kind of conceived of a cat and mouse game between him and Lily Kintner, who's the character in Kind Worth Killing and also the Kind Worth Saving. I find it very interesting that we're going to see Lily again. This is the the third book that we're going to see her. This is uh, for someone who's written, um, you know, standalones with the exception of The Kind Worth Saving, which was, uh, you know, a, a follow on from a kind, The Kind Worth Killing. Um, do you do you like um, having these characters that you've developed a bit of a relationship with for for lack of a better term, um, is, is it more fun to, to kind of continue these stories and imagine where these characters have been and where they're going to continue to go? Well, it's been fun with Lily because I really like writing her and I think she's a unique person because she essentially becomes the protagonist of the story. Um, despite the fact that she's a kind of a, a murderous person herself. So she's sort of a, <laughs> anti-hero good good girl bad girl type of thing but but um but what's fun with that is you know she's sort of a detect in this book she kind of becomes a detective figure kind of tracking down another killer um and of course you get the fun of what will eventually happen with when the two of them meet um but uh yeah i think i think i just really like writing her i like writing her world this was another book that she fit into really nicely. The next book I'm, um, the next book I'm going to, um, is not going to contain, um, have her in it. So I'll see, I'll see if she shows up again, but I mean, for right now I did, I did enjoy putting her in a third book and then I, I'm definitely going to go back to standalones, I think for, for a couple. I 
love it. Well, the Christmas gift, the Christmas guest, excuse me, uh, is available everywhere now. Uh, go visit your local bookstore, grab a stack of these and use them as stocking stuffers this year. They would be fantastic for that. If you don't have a great local bookstore, uh, we're going to include an Amazon link where you can grab it. Uh, it's available in Kindle edition or hardcover or audiobook. Um, I've not listened to the audiobook yet, Peter, and I, I always listen to your audios. Um, how's the, the production on this one? Um, I'm afraid to say I do not know. I have not listened to it myself, and I know it's, it was, I think, had some challenges around doing it in audio, but um, I have not heard it myself. Like, well, we'll put a link in. Rarely do. I don't. I yeah. don't like to listen to um, my words. I don't know what it is. It's just. Uh, I, I suspect there are some authors out there who love listening to audio books of their books. Me, I avoid it. Well, the vast majority of the folks I know um, can't stand to listen to their own words. So I, yeah, I, that's I, how I totally I... understand that. There's just something weird about having someone read your voice back to you. That's uh, a little unsettling. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Christmas Guest, available everywhere now. Go grab it. Um, Peter, your website is peter-swanson.com. Is that right? Peter-swanson.com. And, that, and that'll link you up. You can get you to Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all those things. Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, whatever it is this week. Right. Um, we'll, we'll link that up as well to make it easier for folks to find you. Um, Peter, always a joy to catch up. Uh, love the new book. We're going to send everyone to pick up a copy of it. Thank you, Thanks Hank. For always a pleasure. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at DabbleWriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.